is overflowing with your goodness. Because though at the very moment that we're facing that circumstance, whether it's illness in a family member or whether it's hardship at work or whether it is just all these different things that we're faced with, Lord, you are in control of everything. And Father, our lives are in your hands and you are orchestrating it. You are moving in it. We pray continually as we depend on you for all these things. We thank you for our community. We thank you that as your church, we can be a light on the hill because we got a world that is completely just complaining, looking at everything as negative, and they can't see the light because, you know, in a sense, they are in a hopeless situation because they don't have you. So this week as we go forth, Father, help us to be that happiness advantage to those around us. Help us to point them to you that they can show, be given hope that only can come from you. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Selena. Appreciate that. God, I hate to ruin good worship and amazing prayer with a sermon, but I'm going to do it anyway. So. <laughs> hey, are you a good person? Absolutely loaded question in case you're wondering. I mean, it's, it's chock full of just trap after trap after trap. However, I'm going to continue to ask that question. Are you a good person? And as you ponder that in your mind for a moment, as you're thinking about, am I a good person? It is likely that you are running through some level of, of specifics or a standard or even some sort of matrix. And, and you may be, depending on if you're more optimistic or pessimistic or, or realistic, you might be in a place of just saying, well, I'm a good person in comparison to someone else or or maybe you're a little bit more gentler in your comparison of or in your your validation of you being a good person where you're saying I'm a good person because at least I'm not as bad as someone else I mean we all need to keep someone around us that's a little bit worse than we are to feel better about ourselves right I mean look at your friends figure out where you fit in am I the one who makes that person better or are they the one who makes me a better person or a good person none of no matter what the, the, the answer that you've come to, the one thing that you have come to this place to say whether I am a good person or I'm not a good person is that somewhere you have evaluated some level of standard by which you are okay with what that actually is. Uh, in the process of finding out what that standard is is where I, I want us to kind of start thinking that direction today because there are many who think that they are good people, but their standard is not that by which we ought to really be on board with. And, and the, the, the real problem that we have today, particularly in our world, and to be fair, I think it's been since the, the very beginning of time, or at least after day eight or nine, whenever Eve bit of the fruit, from, from that point forward, our standard has been in flux, and we have not carried out the same standard that we ought to. So therefore, each and every one of us in the room today probably have a different standard of what we think good is. And the, the challenge that we will face and we'll always have conflict with is when your standard and my standard don't meet. And so where's the tiebreaker? Now, it's not about breaking the tie. It's about the decision that has been made, and therefore we ought to elevate ourselves to the standard that was set before us instead of trying to create a new standard each and every day. Nonetheless, I think each and every one of us at some point would probably say, yes, I'm a good person, and we would probably fill that with all the good things that I've done. And so there's a, a measure of action that is, that is attached to my goodness, right? 
or a level of inaction that is attached to someone's badness or not so goodness. There was a lady on her, on her way from work. It was the end of the week. She had just gotten paid and the bank was right outside of the bus stop where she got on the bus to go home. And she goes in and cashes her paycheck and she sees a, a, a shabbily dressed man standing outside of that bus stop and she sees someone walk up to him and, and give him some money. And, and feeling like she needed to do something as well, she had just got paid. She had a little bit of money in her pocket. She walked up to the man and she gave him $10 and said, never despair, never despair. She felt good about what she had done. She got on the bus, she went home, she enjoyed her weekend. Monday morning, she gets off the bus at that stop. This shabbily dressed man comes running up to her and says, here you go, lady, you won. Here's $110. And she's like, what are you talking about? He says, your horse, never despair, came in first and the third and paid out 10 to one. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you that, 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 that doing kind things is always gonna pay you back. I, I can't say that today. That's just bad theology, right? But there's something in the action of doing good with the right motive and the right heart that makes us feel good about what we're doing. And sometimes it comes back the right way. Other times you're standing at the door like a gentleman downtown who was getting the doors. He's going into this big office building and this very nice dressed woman comes walking up and she just begins to berate him for his chauvinism for having gotten the door for her. Do you think because of my gender I'm incapable of getting my own door, she says? He gently replied to her, ma'am, it's not about your gender, it's about me being a gentleman. That's why I got the door for you today. You see, kindness and goodness are those pieces that we're looking at today, and it has nothing to do with the world's standard on the outside, but it has everything to do with the standard that was set forth for us by the Lord God Almighty himself. And when we live up to that standard, we understand that. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, which I thought Selena was about to read it and just blow the whole thing for me this morning. But he said very clearly, writing to, to a group of believers who were struggling, he says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. We're going to explore that a little bit. But what Paul's really saying in, in, the, in the crux of that is just do the right thing because it's right. Do good because it is good by the Lord's standards, not by your own or by the world or what the return of the recipient reciprocation of that's going to be do what is good do what is right now how do we understand this to be well to be fair if we were to go all the way back to genesis we would see in the first five days of creation we would see that when god made something he would declare it to be good and it was evening it was morning it was day one day two day three day four but when he got to day six and he created man he got to a place where he looked out at everything and he says, I've provided everything for everything to sustain properly. The, 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 the plants with seeds, the, 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 the green plants to feed this. And then he made man, and he, God saw what he had, had made in, in Genesis 1.31, and he saw, and it was very good. And that, that, that ideal of very good was not just that God was so pleased with himself, because there's not really anybody else to say in compared to what God there, there's this God, and he looked at it, and he said, this is very good. And he adds that, 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 that modifier to it in saying very good, because what he's really saying is, when I look out at all of my creation that has been made perfectly, that it is in unison and in harmony with itself, it is morally in the right place with its creator. Now, uh, now that word morally for a moment may be a little bit of a challenge, because when we start dealing with what is good, I think our minds should drift back to what is moral, to what is right to what is in line with God's standard. And when God looked at his creation and said that it is very good, he says, I have set the standard for what good is. And this is it. 
because I made it. I have both proclaimed it and I have demonstrated what good is. And anything short of this is not good. When God looked at Adam, he said it is not good for him to be alone. Adam is alone and he needs a partner. He needs a helpmate. He needs a path of goodness and righteousness to help with some of the work, to help take care of some of the things that I have put in right place. But that didn't last very long. And what was very good had changed my people standard, but God still had the same standard. And that's actually a, a problem for many of us is that what we want to do is talk God down from his standard instead of talk us up to his. Instead of walking ourselves up, being pulled up and brought into the standard that God has for us. A lot of that has to do with when we get ourselves into moral dilemmas about doing the right thing. And what is the right thing to do? That's, that's a great question for us to ask this morning. What is the right thing for us to do? And how do I know that it's right? Especially when I can Google what is the right thing to do in this situation and come up with thousands of different options. And I would bet you that almost none of them on the first couple of pages have anything to do with this is what the Bible has to say. The Bible has spoken about what the right thing to do is. The scripture has demonstrated to us, not just in word, but in deed, what right actually looked like. You're not the first person to ask the question about what the right thing to do is in a given situation. I've shared with you many a time, my father has told me and told me from a young man to even now, son, you will probably never have difficulty of knowing what the right thing to do is, but you will have an absolute opportunity actually doing it. You will war against your flesh. You will war against what you want to do, knowing the right thing to do, and it will be hard for you. We went up and saw our son yesterday in College Station. What a fun conversation with him. Son, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, Dad. Everything's all right. School's going okay. I'm working on this. I'm doing that. I'm doing this extracurricular. Tell me, who are you dating right now? Cue the crickets. It was quiet in that car. His mom's in the back seat. I'm over here driving. I'm thinking, okay, what's happening here? It is not good for you not to be talking to me right now. Silence is killing me. I could see his mind kind of racing there, and he goes, you know, Dad, I hadn't been out with anybody in, gosh, a couple months. Huh, I guess I'm just too busy. Of course, now, for moms and dads, that's, that's like, yes. Because I, I, I looked at him, and I just said the same thing that, that I think the Lord said in Genesis again, that he gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. Okay? And it was very good. Jesus would encounter someone later on that would ask the same sorts of questions regarding goodness and trying to lay traps for him as often. Matthew chapter 19, I'll, I'll read this for you. Don't go there yet. It's just then a, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. I love this, this verse, verse 18. The man looked at Jesus and he says, which ones? Isn't that what we do? Hey, I want the greatest thing that mankind could ever receive from a holy, loving God, but what I want to do is get it at Walmart pricing. How can I do the very minimum, pay the very least, which commandments can I, can I obey and can I not obey to still get this eternal life of which you talk about? How do I 
barely meet the minimum expectations. I used to take youth on mission trips, and I remember taking some kids going into their senior year. We went down to Costa Rica. We did a lot of service projects. We worked with kids and all kinds of stuff, and every night we'd huddle together, and I brought all those kids in. I said, you are about to embark upon your senior year of high school, and this next year is going to go real fast, and you're not going to see your parents enough, and you're going to go off to college, but what's going to happen to you at the end of May or the 1st of June is that you're all going to walk across the stage in these these weird robes and these hats, and everybody's going to clap for you, and they're going to send you gift cards, and they're going to write you checks, and they're all going to be excited about you, and the state of Texas is going to hand you a piece of paper that says you have successfully completed the minimum expectations to graduate high school. You have successfully completed the minimum expectations. We're proud of that. How is the minimum good? What good can be found in barely getting by? This one man, they would go on to have a conversation, Jesus and him, and he would tell him, sell absolutely everything you have. The dialogue would continue that there was just too much of a cost for that man. Folks, it had nothing to do with what that man had to give up. It had everything to do with who he would surrender to. Those commandments that he was to follow would, would push him in the right direction to see in his need of salvation that even following each and every one of those commandments to the letter, whether he followed all 612 of them in the Torah or he only followed half of them, it did not matter. His need was still Jesus. That's why this morning I, I, I want to I talk to you about goodness and kindness as we open up looking at more of the fruit of the Spirit. We're in chapter 27 of our our Believe book. If you don't have one of these, they're back there in the back. Grab one on the way out. You can pay $5 if you want, or you can steal from the church. We don't care. It's good. It's all good. But I want to tell you this morning that the standard of goodness is consistently reflecting the character of God in our motives and our actions. When we start thinking about how we act and how we live and how we behave, and, and, and that's, that's both inside here, whether it be at breakfast or whether it be in the, the body of Christ as we meet as a congregation, whether it be in, in home groups or, or whether it may be at breakfast or whatever, how we act with one another and how we act with those outside of the body of Christ, there must be a consistent reflection of the character of God in who we are. Because if not, then we are setting the wrong standard for those who are looking for the right standard and they're finding us performing at the bare minimum standard when we are not following lockstep with Jesus. The scripture speaks a lot about biblical kindness and goodness. It talks a lot about those who demonstrate these characteristics have this transformed life that, that shows them the right thing to do and gives them the character and integrity to actually do them regardless of what the outcome and the cost. The 23rd Psalm, I think we often read that Psalm. We hear it at funerals. We, we, we want to remember that this person who, is, who, is, who has passed away, that perhaps they led a good life. i got to tell you something, folks. One of the hardest things in the world is preaching a funeral for somebody who didn't know Jesus and really wasn't a very good person. Do you know, how do you give somebody hope? Friends and family, we're gathered here today to tell you we no longer have to deal with that scoundrel. You can't stand up and say stuff like that because it's not right. It's not good. You, you got you to build people up with a false sense of reality. It doesn't mean you have to be cruel. It doesn't mean you have to, to, to go hammering people the whole time. But, but there's something to be said about a, a transformed life. It doesn't have to talk about things like that. People don't have to manufacture things about you. 
And so when, when David looks at the, the 23rd Psalm and we see this in here, what David caught on to that I think we sometimes miss at a funeral or any other time we look at the 23rd Psalm is what David got was that when I follow after the shepherd who is following after Jesus, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. That there is a trail of goodness behind me, not a trail of, of bruised and bloody behind me. That, that whether he leads me beside still waters or green pastures or yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. At the very end of that, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. What David, I think, comes to an agreement is that I know what good is because I'm chasing after good. And when I'm chasing after good, I'm chasing after a Jesus who is being obedient to his Father. Just as each and every one of us who are in any level responsibility or leadership for someone else in our life, whether it be our children or our church or our neighbors or whoever else, if they find me with a transformed life that is following after Jesus and doing all the right things that I'm supposed to do according to his standard, then they're going to be behind me saying, I want what that person has. And they're not going to come get it from me. I'm going to show them how to follow goodness and mercy all the days of their life. And it's going to be reflective in my character because I'm reflecting God in me and what he's done in my life. And so I can't tell you that I'm good. I can tell you there is but one that is good, and he has changed me from the inside out. And so if you look at me and you're proud about who you are, I've done everything wrong. But you ought to look at me and maybe not recognize there's a God in me that's doing something, the reflection of the Lord who's working through my life and say, I don't know what it is about you, but I want that. And you look into the mirror and you ask yourself, am I a good person? If you only see yourself, the answer is no. If you look at Jesus, the answer is yes. I'm being made good in him. I'm being put back right. I am in right moral standard as the creator had originally planned for it to be. Not because of anything that I have done, but because of what was done for me on the cross that day. Because it was right and it was good and it was best for humanity. Many of us know Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This is very clearly you. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. If you haven't picked up yet, the ideal of goodness and kindness has everything to do with action and activity. It has everything to do with what you do, not just what you say or what you think you believe. And, and the, 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 the challenge for many of us is what they would call cognitive dissonance that says that I believe this, but I act like this. You know, the difference between Saturday and Sunday morning. You with me? Nobody amen that. I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of... You can't say one thing and do something else and expect people to say, oh, yeah. They're consistently reflecting the character of God because God doesn't do that. What about all the times God relented? You're welcome. That's mercy and grace. In a later conversation, we would understand that the challenge when we have this cognitive dissonance that when we say one thing and act a different way, that when we, when we know what is right and good because we've told to love God, to walk humbly with him, to, to act justly, to love mercy, when we know those things to be true but we don't actually do them, we get into what Jesus talked about in, in, in Luke chapter 6 when he says, no good tree bears good fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit and people do not pick figs of thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. 
And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks from what the heart is full of. Keep that in mind for a moment. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. As I was studying this week, I came across a great sermon by a guy named Tim Rollins. I never met the guy. He lives out in California. It gives me hope that tells me there are good people in California. But, but it was a fabulous sermon, and I, I took some things from there because I'm like, man, this guy nailed it. He got it right. And he, he talked about some of the importance of studying some of the biblical language to understand the words that were used in the right context by which they were used originally and how we kind of messed them up in our dirty English, right? And one of the words in, the, in, in Old Testament Hebrew, and I, and I will apologize now, I'm not a biblical languages guy, but Angelo is. And so you want to talk to him. He, he's got a degree in it, literally, right? I don't. I have an Angelo. I don't need a degree. But the word that was used to talk about kindness in the Old Testament was this, this word called hesed or kesed. And this, this word talks about loving kindness and faithfulness and, 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 and goodness in there. And I want to show you this, this picture of this stork that's up here because I find this really fascinating. Um, you all know the storks, right? They're the ones that bring babies. If, if we need to have other conversation about that, I'm free on Thursdays, okay? But, but, but the stork, we, we often talk about bringing babies, and there's a really good reason for that because the same root word in this, this hesed word is used that actually is in the word stork. And so they actually come from the same root word. And, and what's so fascinating about that is the stork um, is the only bird that will actually take another bird into its nest and will care for it, will feed it, will provide for it, will protect it. It's the only bird that will do that. No other bird will do that. The story of the ugly duckling, false, okay? The stork is the only one that will do that, that will bring in, that will show kindness, that will show grace and mercy and dignity and will never get paid back for it. In fact, the eagle that the, that the stork may actually raise might one day grow up and kill it. But the stork's nature, his goodness, his rightness, his kindness is to do what is right because it's the right thing to do. Now, in it, it is its nature because it is intrinsically made that way, which we are not. There is no good amongst us, no, not one. But because of the blessing of the Lord and the change that happens in our hearts, we can see this change. Interestingly enough, the stork is actually listed in Deuteronomy as one of the unclean animals. So that just tells us this, that bad people can still do good things, but their heart and their motives are still not right. As good people can still do bad things when their heart and their motive is pushed off course. Does that make sense? It should give some of you hope because you're bad people. There's chance for you. But you can't manufacture doing good if it's not in your heart. And i got to tell you something. It's not stored up in your heart because you didn't put it there. It comes from a knowledge of the Lord himself, a transformed heart within you. There's, there's a couple of other words in the, in the New Testament that, that are all so used. There's this, this word krestos in the Greek, which means kindness. And there's this, this word agathos, which also uh, means goodness. And we see this in Galatians chapter 5. Now, you're probably wondering, John, you never do this. Why, why are you doing this today? I'm getting there. Just hang on a minute. It's good, I promise. This word agathos is, 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 is defined as an outward act towards others that come from an inner understanding of what is right and best and good. 
this is the word that when we see kindness and goodness in the fruit of the spirit, because the two of them are actually like cousins, they always travel together. You can't have one without the other. And it's this, this outward act that happens. And so when we see these things that are going in someone's life, particularly when you look at the fruit of the spirit of, 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 of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, when you see those nine elements of the fruit of the spirit, what you ought to start seeing them is in segments and saying that some of these God placed into my heart. And the reason he placed them out into my heart is so that they will come out in my actions and activity and I will reflect the character of God in my goodness and kindness all the days of my life. And that it will be evident, not by how much I know, but how much I show of a God who's done good things in my life. That's the fruit of the spirit that I bear that God is looking at. And not only is God looking at, everybody else is looking at that too and saying, listen, how do I know that they're right and good? It's because they're consistently following this standard that is higher than they could ever possibly achieve, but they keep striving for it because there's reward and promise at the end of that. And that's eternal life. First Thessalonians chapter 5. As we read earlier, I want to come back to it for a moment. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 6 because I want you to open your Bible with me this morning. But as we talk about what is good and what is right, it has everything to do with what our actions are. And if we want our actions to reflect the goodness that is within us, we want to see that comes from God alone. We want, to, we want to have that stork-like mentality that we treat people with kindness regardless how they respond to us or what we get out of that. If we want those things, we have to understand what Paul was writing to the Thessalonian church, and they were, they were struggling. He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Now, here's another interesting word for you. That word wrong that Paul uses here in the Greek is translated kaka. Gee, how appropriate. Everybody good? I don't need to explain that further, do we? Because what we would not like is for wrong to come out of your mouth. For wrong actions. For a world that looks into the church and sees itself and asks the church to lower its standards so that we can feel included. Friends, this is not an exclusive club, but there are requirements, and the requirements are bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ and rising to his standard, not by anything we can do on our own, but for what was done for us. And we, 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 we couch these in words like intolerance whenever we see this that's out there and saying the church is just so intolerant. The problem is that we cannot still be the church that you're asking for acceptance from. If we're lowering our standards, we're no longer reflecting the character of God in what we do. And so intolerance changes our identity completely. And instead of trying to bring everybody up in a high tide, we're trying to bring everybody down to some level of measurement that, that, that has all this inclusion activity that's involved with that. And listen, folks, there's no love in that. And sometimes we have to have hard conversations with people, and that too is love and kindness and goodness because it is right and best and good. You have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 31. We're going to look at two specific things this, this morning, and one is going to be how we live our lives in regards to others, as, as Paul had said in 1 Thessalonians, for, for yourselves and for others as well. There's two groups out there. There's the body of Christ, and there's outside the body of Christ. So in Luke chapter 7, verse 27 through 31, we, we see Jesus having this conversation. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them, the other also. 
If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We've heard that before. We've taught that in vacation Bible school. We misinterpret that to make our kids behave towards one another. We do those things all the time. We look at this and go, yeah, that's pretty good advice, you know. But I've never really had anybody come up and take my shirt from me. I've never had anybody come up and just slap me across the face. I'm sure I'm not just going to sit there and let somebody beat on me. I mean, why would I do that? I mean, after all, I'm an American. I'm independent. I have rights. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time, I've I got to be honest with you. You have rights. Really? What gave you the right to receive salvation through Jesus Christ? It was the love of the Father that said, I'll make things right. And there's only one way to do that. But in the meantime, once you get that figured out, it is your job to reflect the consistent character of the Lord in all that you do, even and especially towards your enemies. In fact, it's easy for you to do that. Even the lost care for those who harm them. Even bad people give to good charities. Even a mass murderer weeps at his mother's funeral. There is a measure there that gives us the false understanding, but there are five things in this that I really want you to pay attention to. I want you to see that, that when we choose to be good and kind in our relationships with others, that there are certain things that we can actually do, and we see that in that passage in Luke. The first one, Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. That's a choice, friends. That's a decision made. That is a, a chance for you to stop and say, listen, I've been wronged. I've been falsely accused. I've been hated. All these things have happened to me, but I'm choosing on how I'm going to respond to that individual. Not because I'm good, but because what is in me is better than what I could possibly produce on my own. And because it is what is required to me as I am being changed into the likeness of Christ and being put back to the very good, right moral standard that I was originally intended to be at and be in full fellowship with my creator. And I do that because I acknowledge that what's been done for me is, yes, making me a better person, but making me more like Christ. And that person who harmed me doesn't know that. And they don't get that. And my retaliation is not going to demonstrate Jesus to them. It's only going to affirm to them what they already wrongly think about Christ and his church and the people that follow him. And so I may have to actually take one on the chin. The second thing he says is to bless those who curse you. Whew, isn't that hard? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words are wearing me out. They hurt. I find it interesting that as he was hanging on the cross, that our Lord said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I don't know when the last time was that you hung on a cross. I guarantee you can hold your tongue when somebody says something mean about you. And you might even be able to say, you know what? I'm sorry you think that way. But may the Lord bless you. 
May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. If it's not in there, folks, it only comes out as wrong. The third thing he says is pray for those who mistreat you. Okay, wait a minute. I got to pray for those who mistreat you? You're missing this. This is a great opportunity, especially for you introverts. You're saying, I don't have to talk to them. I just have to stop and pray. (laughs) Yes. Here's the fascinating thing about this is that that prayer, although it be for those who have wronged you, who have harmed you, that prayer is actually setting your heart back right with God for the moment. That is putting you back in the right place to say, you know what, Lord, my flesh is screaming murder. But I know that's not the right thing to do. There is no goodness or kindness in what I want to say. And so you know what, before I open my mouth and excerpt wrong, maybe the best thing for me to do is get back in tune with you for a moment to put things back in its right perspective and to understand that, yes, while I am praying for you, I am also asking for mercy in my own heart, for God to reflect your goodness and kindness in what I'm doing and not retaliating against someone else. The fourth thing we see in this passage is that we do unto others as we'd like to have them done to us. Interesting that as he hung on the cross, he didn't say, I'm going to prepare a place, and while I'm gone... Y'all make sure to hang as many of my opponents on the same crosses as me. He didn't say that. He didn't say to repay with them in tenfold. He said actually pay back to those with love and with grace and with mercy. To love those who persecute you. To pray for those. He says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And even if they don't adopt the same attitude or the same behaviors, you still need to persevere on. You still need to carry on. You still got to let people know that I am a reflection of the character and that is good and right. And when I began to embrace the things that are outside of God's character, that means that I have a character flaw. I'm missing and I need more of him to transform me. It was what John the Baptist said to his disciples shortly after When they started noticing that Jesus was baptizing more than him, he said very clearly, I must decrease and he must increase. This is not a competition. Because when it becomes the competition where I can outdo someone in doing evil, the worst thing you can do is win, especially if you're a Christ follower. Finally, in a verse we didn't read, but in verse 36, Jesus drops this on his disciples, and I just love this. Hey, you know what what really gets your enemies? You just be perfect. What? You mean there's a standard that I must adhere to? That I must strive toward? That I must take off all the sin that hinders me from getting to that standard? You mean I just have to be perfect in all that I do, just as my heavenly father was perfect and created things in all perfection, and when he looked at all of his perfection, he declared it was very good? Yeah, that's impossible. I can't possibly be perfect. Therein lies the choice, doesn't it? When I get to a place to where I declare that I cannot possibly be perfect, I must either say I choose Jesus to perfect me from the inside out, this process of sanctification, or not participate at all. Sadly, as the church of Laodicea saw, they were doing neither, and they were lukewarm and spewed out. You're neither striving for perfection through what Christ is doing in you through a transformed heart, 
nor are you anything on your own over here. You're just kind of laying out here in the middle and there's nothing perfect about you. Well, that's all well and good. I mean, I can treat people nice. I've watched the outside world treat people nice, but let's get down to the real good stuff. What about one another? I've been setting you up for the last 27 minutes, just so you know. No church, no expression of the bride of Christ will ever truly reflect the love that the Father has for them and for those outside of the bride of Christ until we start treating one another the right way. And sometimes when we think about kindness and goodness, we get this misunderstanding that these pacifistic, wussy Christians just let people walk all over them and they get offended by a brother or sister in the body and we don't talk bad about that. Oh, God bless them. They're just having a bad day. That does not give anybody the right to run over you and to drag you down. That doesn't mean you have to stand there and just take that, but there are the right fix this. Because what happens more than anything, and as my, my, my fellow pastor, Greg Mott, who pastors First Houston, said to a bunch of pastors one day, he said, the hardest thing you'll ever learn in ministry is this, is that sheep bites hurt worse than wolf bites. Yeah. When that nice little woolly sheep that can't hardly think for itself follows you around to the paths of righteousness, to the green pastures, to the still waters when they finally, for whatever reason, start to think for themselves and only about themselves and they walk up behind you and just sink those dull teeth into you and just grind. It's like mama grabbing that little piece of skin on the back of your arm. There's nothing hurts more than that. What are we to do to attack itself? What are we to do when the rest of the world has all kinds of stories about that church down the road? Some of you may not know the history of Houston, but, but after the Emancipation Proclamation came through Texas, it was the last state to fully get there. What happened in the city of Houston were, were two things. One, slaves were freed in the city of Houston, and many of them were brought out here to Brookshire and left. Some were actually allowed the very first place to own property. Freed slaves would buy property in Freedmanstown, which is the fourth ward right outside of Southern University there, Texas Southern there. Scott and Dennis, MLK Boulevard, that area over there. There were two churches down there in the early 1900s that had declared that this was their territory. Two churches began to war against one another. And who had care over this community? Churches literally got into fights. Bottles, clubs, knives sort of fights. I don't know the last time was you drove down to the forward. I wouldn't recommend doing it at night for sure. It is one of those communities you just don't go into. I'm grateful for my friend Mike Malchus in Generation 1. Mike's been down there a little better than 10 years. It's a ministry we support as a church. Mike found himself down there. and In fact, he found himself in Harris County Jail one night, and everybody else in there was from the same community. And he's trying to figure out where are all the men in this community. And on day three of his 90 minutes, he began to read the Bible, and the Lord took hold of him, and he says, Mike, you need to move down to the third ward. Mike moved down to the third ward, and the first thing he was met with was a whole lot of resistance. Oh, you're another one of those do-gooders who thinks you're going to come down here and save the third ward. Yeah, Mike had a little bit of that on the high level, but after a couple of years, he finally got to the place and said, you know what, I'm just going to go down here, I'm going to do good, I'm going to do right because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to love on this younger generation. 
you know, a couple of years ago, HISD went and reevaluated which schools to keep open and which ones to close. And it was interesting that one of the schools they closed was right smack dab in the middle of the third ward. And Mike had already begun an academy for students to get in and to learn. He did what was right. He did what was good because it needed to happen. That community continued to push back at Mike, continued to continue to harm him. Even churches would tell Mike that what he was doing was the wrong thing because it was interfering with how they were trying to control, literally control this neighborhood. Sheep bites hurt worse than wolf bites. When we are busy harming one another under the flag of Christianity, it doesn't give us license to treat people that way. It's important that even we need to have the conflict conversations within the body of Christ. It's one of the most challenging places for us to be. There's an insecurity about our faith some days because we don't know the Bible as good as that person or that person. There's a hidden sin in our life that we don't want exposed because we don't want all these people to know that I'm really not as good as I think I am. There's a challenge within the body of Christ. It gets very difficult. And sometimes we need to have some tough love. But I gotta tell you something, friends. Tough love in the body of Christ does not happen outside of authentic biblical community. In other words, let me put it simply, you can't show up to church for about 45 to an hour and a half once a week, not have anything else to do with the body of believers, and then get your feelings hurt when someone comes to you out of love and says, brother, you can't keep doing that. It's not just bad for you, it's bad for everyone else. And we're told to not repay wrong for wrong, but to do good for yourselves and for else. And I need to restore you gently, as, a, as Galatians chapter 6 says. That I, I need to go to you out of love and say, listen, the thing is not reflective of the kindness and goodness that the fruit of the Spirit ought to be bearing out of you. And so the tree that is bearing the fruit of you right now, that's not the path of a Christ follower. And we want you in this body, we want you in this congregation, but we can't have you like that because you're poisoning the rest of us. And the vine dresser trims the vine because he loves. And we want to restore you gently. We want to speak the truth to you in love. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, we want to have these conversations with you because we need to have tough love. But, but without that relationship that we have with one another... We have a different set of standards because the standard we ought to have is that God said it, he declared it, he proclaimed it, he demonstrated what very good looked like and what very good was, what was morally right was that we were in lockstep with him and that we were chasing after him and he was leading us to what it was that we possibly could be down the road, not to who we are today. Last week I shared with you some statistics about conflict within the body and how hard it is just for pastors to deal with that some days but I got news for you there is conflict within the body that has nothing to do with pastors it has a lot to do with self it has a lot to do with personality it's a lot to do with with our own fears it has a lot to do with our own insecurities and instead of uh, instead of just harping on those things and letting those things have power and control in your life what we ought to be doing is saying you know what in authentic biblical community that I'm a part of, that I create, and that I build, and that I make, it's not going to be perfect. But I am going to be a part of that because we are all striving to do what is right and good and best. And I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself. I'm going to demonstrate some tough love sometimes. In church, if we're not on the same page with the right standard of what that is, it's going to get even messier than it has to get. 
Some of you know exactly what that looks like because you've walked away from other churches. You've watched churches do what churches full of people do. Disagree, tear down, get away from the standard that God has set for us that doesn't just shame us but brings us back to say, you know what, we're at an impasse here. I got a thought. Why don't we go back to the scripture and be more like Jesus? Nope. I think I'll just go on down the road. And that, friends, is how we got second and third and fourth Baptist church of whatever little town USA. The scary thing is that we actually think that a dysfunctional body is a church. Hmm. That's hard. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite authors. If you ever wanted to read a book, I would read it in pursuit of God. It's a great book, and he says this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. You know why we don't get along? Why we don't show goodness and kindness? Why goodness and mercy don't follow us all the days of our lives? Because we're not chasing after the one standard collectively. We have devoted ourselves to different standards, maybe even lower standards than what we possibly can, and God's got so much better for us than we could ever possibly get on. The end of the Good Samaritan, Jesus asked those who were listening to the story, which of these three men that helped this man that fell into the hands of the robbers was a better neighbor? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know, kindness and goodness may be a deed. It may be a right word. It may be a word not spoken. It's definitely going to be an action taken that points people towards the reflection, the consistent character of God who is changing your heart and your life and inviting others to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what it means that goodness and mercy would follow me all the days of my life. That I would chase after the one who is chasing after me and chasing after the God who loves me and died for me even though I did not deserve that. Would you pray with me this morning as the band comes up? Father, we acknowledge this morning that we are sinners in need of Savior. And Lord, because you love us and you are kind to us and you are good to us, it's not because of what we have asked for or what we have done or even who we are. It's because it is who you are. And so, Lord, I pray each and every week that we don't try to become better people, but we try to be like Jesus, that we try to be like him, Lord, because it was who he is, and he is good, and you only give good gifts. You have gifted this world with the church, with this body, so that we might reflect the bride worthy of a Savior for all mankind, so that we might be put back right and very good as you had originally intended Father, the fall of mankind was not because you did something wrong. It's because we did. But Lord, even in the midst of that, you made way for us. And so, Father, this morning as, as, as we gather, we just are grateful. 
that we can have a little tough love for one another, that we can restore each other gently, that we can speak words of truth and love to one another. Father, one of the greatest challenges any church has ever had is pulling people into the same standard of a loving God who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Although weeping on his way to the cross, he did it because he loved us. And so, Father, we thank you that he does. We thank you, Lord, that we have this body, that we can grow, that we can sharpen one another, that we can discipline each other in love, that we can restore us when we're walking outside of the goodness and kindness, Lord, not just for ourselves, but for everyone else too. Because, Father, the world and this community, they don't need us. They need Jesus in us. So this morning, Father, I repent for not doing all that I ought to do myself, and I pray, Lord, that our church would do the same thing. Father, you are good and you are kind to us, and we're grateful for how you provide. And We pray, Lord, that you would continue to provide for the needs of this church so that we might do what is right for our community, that we might celebrate with those ministries that are teaching the truth of the gospel and meeting physical needs, that we might join in. Father, even refresh the saints at a Thanksgiving meal for those who are standing before young girls contemplating life for their unborn child. Father, whatever the case may be, you're calling us to it. I pray we would obediently follow. We love you and we bless you. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. This morning we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper.